Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. French football's fortunes look to finally have changed for the better. No, Neymar hasn't signed that new contract yet, nor Kylian Mbappe, but Canal Plus have reached an agreement with the LFP over a fee to broadcast the rest of the Ligue 1 season. Though there will still be major financial implications, the chaos and impending implosion of the game as we know it, for now, have somewhat dissipated. Though that relieving news does, of course, come with a caveat in that Telefoot La Chaine, Media Pro's bespoke TV channel in France, has broadcast for the final time. And we should, of course, remember the lasting damage of this TV rights farce away from the football clubs themselves. All of our thoughts at GFFN go out to the Telefoot employees who have lost their jobs as part of what has been a bleak chapter for French football. There is, however, a rip-roaring weekend of Ligue 1 action to discuss. Uh, with Lyon tearing apart a sorry-looking Strasbourg side, Monaco and Nîmes clashing in a surprising thrill ride, with one player in particular triumphantly announcing his return to the spotlight, and of course, the 100th edition of Le Classique taking place. We will be discussing these matches, as well as some of the other big talking points, before concluding the show with our spotlight segment, this time on Nantes' uh, talented midfielder Imran Luza. Uh, I'm Jake Smales, and to unpack all of the above, I'm joined tonight by Eric Devin, Mohamed Ali, and Kale Stockwell. Let's jump straight into the Classique. The 100th edition of French football's Clash of the Titans saw a managerless Marseille side with one win in their last 10 host a PSG team facing their biggest challenge in retaining the Ligue 1 title since Monaco four years ago, and yet to really impress under new manager Mauricio Pochettino. With Neymar and Keylor Navas missing from the starting eleven, things look slightly less bleak for OM. But despite a bright first half, two early goals for PSG were enough to secure the win, a match which culminated in Dimitri Payet being sent off for a studs-up challenge on Marco Verratti. Uh, Mo, I'll come to you first on, on this one. This was revenge for PSG for the September victory for Marseille at the Parc des Princes. And it was a very different match to the, the one we saw at the Parc des Princes, wasn't it? Um, yes, um, in that, you know, while Paris Saint-Germain did grab two well-taken early goals, um, I think, I don't, you know, I think OM played relatively decently well, considered um, the situation, the club, the players that were involved, etc. They managed like in the Trophy de Champion a couple of weeks ago, to be um, at least interesting in the midfield, controlling the ball well, not just you know absorbing the pressure and, and adopting a very, very low block, as they've done against um, sides that they think will um, hit them um, clinically and sides that are clearly a better man-for-man. Man. This is something that we saw regularly in the Champions League, but also in the early sort of games um, of the season um, against Lyon and, and the reverse fixture against Paris. So I think it was um, interesting to say the least. Um, and had OM perhaps adopted better defending, I think both goals were really well taken by, by Paris and it shows obviously the quality in their arsenal. From a, from a defensive point of view, from an OM point of view, they were uh, very poorly conceded. Um, you know, they could have been well eradicated. Yes, you could have made the case that um, there continues to be some naivety, defensive naivety, but also, you know, not uh, sharp-mindedness by the OM11, um, because Paris could have had two penalties as well, 
um, to to really um, sort of stretch the manner of victory. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult one. I think as a, as a Marseille fan, as 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 someone you know that probably was dreading this fixture for for a while. Um, Tunia would have been probably at the upper end of the expectations and it, it did finish 2-0 um, but there's still a bit of disappointment in that Paris did not look actually all that good um, as I didn't think that they did in, in the trophy three weeks ago and I think that had circumstances been slightly different um, and OM oh, maybe had Amavi and Milik and, and a, a better form and confidence going in and better stability um, this could have been a completely different game altogether. Yeah, you mentioned that, of course, that Marseille were, were missing players too. Uh, I probably should have added at the top there, particularly in the likes of Amave and, and Milik. But but this is another game where where PSG haven't really uh, fully convinced, as you as you alluded to there, Mo. And I saw that you and and also UK on on Twitter were weren't particularly, um, you know weren't particularly praising of that PSG performance. Kale, why is it we're yet to see this this PSG side really kind of play at play in first gear under Maurizio Pochettino? Do you think it's a case of them acclimatising to the new coach and his methods? What, what do you think the reason could be? Uh, I don't know for sure. I mean, I can say that um, he he has made some decisions that I think are a little bit strange and they probably need time to adjust to them. I thought playing Verratti as a number 10, which he did, I think, the first two or three games, if I'm correct, was really strange. I never thought that looked like it was ever going to work. Um, playing Diallo at center back for a while instead of Kimpembe, I don't know if there was an issue with Kimpembe or not, but that also seemed a little bit like a strange decision to me. I mean, I think there's going to be kind of a betting in period for any manager, but like PSG had issues when Tuchel was there. They didn't look like the, like the same outfit that we saw a year before. So I don't think Pochettino can come in and magically fix the problems that existed at the start of the year, which is they're missing some players probably in some pretty key positions and they're not able to develop and produce the same kind of football. I don't know if it's anything more complicated than that. Um, but I certainly don't think that he's done anything since he arrived to make them um, make the team more palatable or, or better in terms of their execution thus far. I mentioned um, obviously there the fact that the match, I mean, the match was over by that point, but of course that, that red card for, for Dimitri Payet, um, and it was a particularly pe- poor performance from him yet again, someone who who really lit up some of the bigger ma- bigger matches for Marseille last season. Um, th- that's his third red card this season, which I suppose is kind of emblematic of the year he's had. Eric, I, I want to get your thoughts on, on, on Payet because we kind of touched on him, particularly Mo has touched on him um, in, in over the last couple of months on the show and to, as a, you know, in his form being a reason for where Marseille are at along with with other culprits. But but what is it with with Dimitri Payet that leads or has led him to kind of blow so hot and cold over his career? Do, do, do you feel that it is just a case of form or fitness or, um, you know, is there something more to it? Maybe motivation because he's a shadow of the player at the moment that we saw last season and that we saw at the Euros in 2016 and that we saw at West Ham in, in, in England. What are your thoughts? I don't disagree with that. I, I do, I do want to, before I 
launch into Pi A. I did want to make one rejoinder to um, to Pochettino's uh, tactical and personnel decisions. He has had to deal with some issues. You know, uh, Neymar uh, has been suspended. Marquinhos and Navas have both missed time out with injury. Uh, Verratti and Diallo had COVID. But I don't understand um, the decisions he's making. You know, playing was not only a four three three last last night. I think that was too negative. I think that Verratti was not was okay. Maybe a ten. Maybe you know. But if he's if you're if you're asking him to be the most creative of that midfield three, and he's playing as deep as he was last night, it gave Marseille far too much space to run into. I think that was a problem. Uh, you know, I think you have this idea of this this cat fantastique, the fantastic four. Um, even if Neymar, through illness, was not able to start, um, although he certainly looked lively enough when he did come on, I do feel that you could have put in Pablo Sarabia on the left. You could have put in Rafinha, a player who I thought has looked, you know, looked very solid under Thomas Tuchel. It looked looked to be a really, you know, cagey presence on the ball, very creative. Seems to have been totally frozen out by Pochettino. I know he I know he suffered from COVID as well, but I. I think that was that's not been for obviously the entire time that Pochettino has been been in charge. Um, Moise Ken also started and scored in both the Pochettino's first two matches in charge. I don't think he started yet. He certainly hasn't scored in the time since. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know I can understand rotation with with an eye on the Barcelona match, but you've got Caen in midweek. You know, so why not play a first a first choice attacking side and what is you know, regardless of one's allegiances, the biggest domestic football in, in French football. Uh, it was just really frustrating to see um, CPSG play that way. Um, or play Mbappe and left and play Cardi and, and Can as a pair. I, I, don't, I don't understand what he was getting at. I, I think this team looks, you know, incredibly disjointed, uh, especially going forward under Pochettino. And it's, it's something that I think that they're going to, they're going to come to rue. Uh, you know, they're, that, Back line, you know, Marquinhos aside, whoever partners him is a player with a mistake in them. As much as we like Kipembe's long ball ability and passing, um, you know, he and he and Diallo and or Carer when it's been Carer uh, are not um, immune to a mistake. Um, it's just, you know, that's that's that rant over. Paye, you know, I think this player on 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 form um, has been excellent, but he's 34 in April. Um, he's not. He's no longer a factor in in for France. And I think that is something that we've looked on as being something that's, there's been a, you know, sort of a running gag that if there's a European tournament, uh, to be, to be had in the summer that he, he raises his level. Um, I, you know, you know, if, if he is no longer part of the French team, I think oh, his last call up might've been, did he play after the Euros? I, I'm, I'm thinking not, uh, in 2016, um, maybe a, a match or two, but he certainly wasn't, you know, part of the reckoning mm-hmm. for the world cup in 2018. Um, you know, I think that he's someone who. Let's look at his career. You know, he he does tend to have a fairly fairly peripatetic uh, record. He's played for a lot of teams. It seems like you know he's he's someone who's you know do, who gets bored maybe. Um, and when when there's not a, a clear motivating factor, be it a league title, be it a Champions League, uh, being getting a team into Europe, even at, I think at this point for Marseille, I think he does tend to lose focus. And you know, I, I think he's just reached the age and. You know, a level of maybe declines a harsh word, but a, a level of physical um, turpitude, uh, if you will, that um, that really, you know, the chickens have come home to roost. You can't flip a switch at his age, um, and and be a be a key cog for a team with the ambitions that 
that Marseille have, to be quite frank. I know we've seen some older players, you know, have a bit of a renaissance coming back into the league. Um, we can look at, I think, Lauren Koscielny has been a good acquisition for Bordeaux, for example. Uh, Hatsen Ben Arfa has been lively for them as well. Um, but I think, by and large, um, we, we can't look at um, a player in, you know, we can't look at most players, you know, in, in his role uh, to be expected to make that much of a difference given um, given the track record he's 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 had, um, you know, for since he broke through, uh, you know, with Nott all those years ago. That you raise a very good point there, and um, you, you know, I think I, I think it's easy to easy to forget, perhaps, kind of how how um, at that age it is uh, sometimes it's it, it does become difficult to replicate those kind of levels of um, of performance that he has been showing over over recent seasons, you know, um, because this is someone who really kind of did at least on the kind of international stage burst onto the scene relatively late into his professional career. Although, of course, you know, he's always been. Uh, relatively high regarded in in France um someone who may look to get a little bit more out of him uh in this latter stage of his career is whoever takes over from Andre Villas-Boas um of course um Marseille are yet to make that appointment but we have seen uh Jorge Sampaoli linked with the role the former Chile uh, Sevilla and Argentina boss um Mo uh, as a Marseille fan what would you make of that appointment and do you see much validity in in those rumors? Um, yeah, so there there is validity in those rumors. I think he, there was a report on RMC earlier that said that the contact had been made, and right now it's just putting up the groundwork in whether he wants to come, what the project's looking like, and um, and then if if things are aligned, moving on to contract negotiations. Uh, obviously, this is complicated by the fact that um, he's currently ahead of. Atletico Mineiro, um, Atletico Mineiro, I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, and they've still got, I think, four games left in the Brazilian season. Um, so this, you know, things are not um, a foregone conclusion there by any means. Um, he is of sort of the same cut of cloth as Marcelo Bielsa, who is obviously well fettered in in Marseille, and I think he has that sort of ruggedness, that edge that Marseille have been crying out for for a long, long time. If you look at the recent coaches, they've been really sort of stagged. They've been really uh, a little bit dull, maybe. Um, and that's sort of been the case um, for, aside from Bielsa, probably since uh, Deschamps. And Deschamps, even the Deschamps relied on a defensive core and players over the age of 30 half the time. Um, so this is something that definitely sort of piques the interest of a lot of the local fans. This is a coach that plays attacking football. This is a coach that demands uh, passion from his players, wants to give back to the city. I think Sofut, the French magazine, um, unveiled quotes earlier this week of an interview that he he, he made uh, uh, to them while he was coach of Sevilla. And Sevilla at the time were enjoying a very good season um, where they finished fourth um, in La Liga and qualified for the Champions League. Um, that he mentioned Marseille, he said that, you know, this is one of the clubs that is such a fantastic place. It's, it's highly passionate. You know, the, when you play there, you've, you've got to give the fans something, you know, because the city and the fans are, and the team are as one. Um, and he cited them as being a, a really interesting place to manage. Obviously, Galatasaray was another club he cited. And, you know, that is the truth. That is, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a unique club that requires unique credentials. And I think um, Andre Velasquez was slightly in the mould of Rudy Garcia. Um, and his his sort of results were not too dissimilar to to his predecessor, and also um, Le Bok, who who was a marvelously successful Marseille manager in twenty twelve thirteen, qualified for the Champions League, had an awful Champions League campaign, and then got sacked uh, midway through the, the successive season. Um, all of them have very similar points per game records, very similar defensive, or we you know enjoyed defensive football, even though Garcia perhaps in seventeen eighteen. Um, had perhaps a better go of it um, that season, um, but yeah, it's it's all good um, considering the you know we Marseille have been linked with maybe uh, more reputable coaches, but all of them have seemingly said no at the moment, especially because we are about two thirds of the way through the season. Um, so yeah, this is a little bit left field, but. Um, it worked in Sevilla um, for for um, large amounts. In fact, Semen Nasri, who was a Marseille youth product, um, one of the sort of famous Marseille uh, youth products in the last uh, 20, 20 years, um, said that while he was with San Paoli at Sevilla, he just you know adored his management, that he didn't put pressure on his star players, that he would cover for you all the asks for you to give your all on the pitch every Saturday. Or Sunday, and and whether you go drinking, whether you don't sort of fit into the training regimes, that's all right. He would cover for you as long as you held up your end of the bargain. So I think news like that will definitely, definitely um, tickle um, Dimitri Payet's fancy. So let's hope. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Actually, I'd forgotten that he that after after kind of a couple of years in the wilderness, he was able to kind of get the best out of out of Sami Nasri again for for Sevilla in that season. So um, maybe he is the pie whisperer after all. Maybe um, I think it would be a delightfully fun appointment from a neutral perspective, and certainly great to see someone bring uh, that energy and excitement on on the pitch and also off it back to uh, back to the velodrome. Um, our next match um, involved another managerless side in Nîmes, uh, who sacked their coach Jerome Arpignon last week with the side bottom of the league. They hosted a Monaco side in fine fettle, and as we've discussed on this very show, proving difficult to dismiss as outside contenders in this year's title race. Um, many perhaps would have expected a bloodbath in this one, particularly as Monaco scored twice in the opening 12 minutes. However, Nîmes fought back to equalise uh, in what quickly became the most frantic game of the weekend. Uh, ultimately, ASM prevailed 4-3 thanks to a hat-trick from an old familiar face, Alexander Golovin, and a goal also from Kevin Volland. Um, but I think it's fair to say they had to work for that win. Um, Eric, this was an electric start from um, Monaco. Um, so much so, actually, a bit of inside info here, that our... Uh, very own Mr. Stockwell opted to uh, to check out uh, some of the other games at this point instead of uh, sticking with the game. Um, not to dog you in it there, Kale. Um, but, but but Eric, the early signs were that this would be a, a pretty one-sided match, but it, it wasn't as one-sided as that as that opening exchange. The opening exchange is suggested, right? No, definitely not. And you know, I, I, as much as we can marvel at Monaco's attacking prowess, I, I do think that this serves as a good reminder. Uh, that, you know, this team, as exciting as it is, is probably still, you know, and, and this is something that Niko Kovac has acknowledged as well, is probably still a step below 
that top three, and and they're they're capable of a Rick. They've got that that young midfield of Chalmany and Fofana. Didn't have the best match, uh, I don't think, in in this on this occasion. Um, I also think that you know in in bringing in Fodor Torre for Caio Enrique, they they lost quite a bit um, in terms of their defensive solidity. Um, Golovin as well for as well as he played. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's someone we particularly associate with defensive work. You know, whether that would have been Sidibe or Jop or Ruben Aguilar replacing him on that right flank. Um, uh, he and Jop switched flanks quite a bit. Uh, I, I don't think that there's necessarily um, a level of solidity to this team. And, uh, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword, as they say. Uh, Monaco did live on this particular day. You know, Golovin was fantastic. He's someone who... Uh, has impressed, you know, throughout the cameo appearances and starts he's had this season. Um, but I think he also having him on the pitch, and as a player who's not worked consistently with this Monaco side throughout the year, as as Kovac has seek to build this uh, high energy pressing aesthetic, uh, is something uh, that I th- I think shouldn't shouldn't be uh, glossed over. Um, that you know his lack of time in training with with the rest of his teammates, I think. Uh, you know, his Golovin's role in the side playing as a complete whole, I think, is something that uh, needs to be evaluated. And I think that's why, uh, despite you know him having been fit uh, as of that L'Oreal match, um, which he scored almost immediately after coming on, uh, that's why I think uh, Kovac has been a little bit loath to play him, to start him, that is, uh, knowing that, you know, for all of Monaco's success, that the balance that they've achieved in terms of being able to play that that high intensity modern brand of football is a very delicate balance and one that's necessarily fragile, uh, especially owing to the youth or inexperience uh, of many of the key players in that system. I mentioned Chao Many and Fofana is not having great great matches. Betty Sheila, the same. Sofian Jop again has having a great season, but is young. Uh, Fode Bellatore, I think I don't remember the last time he started. Um, so and also as someone who's young and, and not that not the most solid defensively. Uh, so yeah, I think those factors coming together and um, you know and Neem again, you know, Zinedine Fairhat uh, is, you know, a, a very impressive attacking player. He's very creative. Uh, so to see him get a goal and an assist is not necessarily a surprise. Um, so yeah, I, I think that um, you know, you, you had sort of a confluence of factors that made this match perhaps um, become more than it was after after 12 minutes or whatever when it was that Monaco had gone 2-0 up. So, yeah, um, you know, I think Monaco rode this wave, as it were, um, and are going to continue to battle. But I think that, uh, it, you know, it serves as a good wake-up call. You know, they've got uh, that match against PSG looming uh, not this Sunday but the next, um, and that's a real chance to stake their credentials as being contenders to the top three. Um, so... Good to have a wake-up call in a match like this, but still able to get three points. Um, you know, maybe re- maybe double down on those ideals, as it were, uh, in their cup match this week, and, and go from there. Obviously, Golovin did steal the the headlines um, for that hat trick, being on his being his given that it was his first start since August. I think I'm right in saying. Um, and and Eric actually makes a, you make a very interesting point there about you know, perhaps why he hasn't been starting more regularly, despite the fact that he has been fit and maybe that there are kind of defensive deficiencies to his game, or at least from a work rate perspective. Um, but uh, Kale 
coming to you, I, I know I chucked you under the bus at the start of that there, but but on a serious note, I know you saw saw Golovin's goals. What 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 did you make of his his performance? And and do you think that maybe you know an area of his game like his defensive work rate in a system like the one that Kovac deploys will prevent him from maybe becoming a more regular starter in this team, despite you know attacking performances such as this one. Um, I mean, I didn't think he was terrible defensively that match. I thought he was okay. I mean, it, they really keyed on the right side where Balotore was and where Diop was. They they pretty much just exposed that flank almost the entire game. I think Ben Rau and uh, like Kush were pretty rampant, and I think I was looking at the numbers. They were they I think almost like seventy percent of their attacks were down the right. So I think there's a way that he can be adapted into this side. I think it's nice for Golovin that, you know, when he first arrived for big money, I think there was a lot of pressure on him to kind of be the man at Mars at, uh, sorry, at Monaco. Like they had just come through that generation of, of players that sort of moved on. Maybe there was some expectation that, okay, now everyone that enters the club is going to be a, a superstar kind of immediately. And I think that that fell onto him and, and there was, I think a lot of pressure from him, I believe around that was around the time of the world cup as well. So I think he could benefit a lot from the fact that, you know, now it's a little bit more dispersed. There's not as much pressure on him to come into the match and, and be the main guy to do all the work. And I, I you know, they have more attacking options and with uh, Ben Yetter there, I think it's kind of clear who the, who the main man is in front of goal. So I think that could be useful to them. You know, I think it's depth on, on that right side, I, I think, for sure. You know, if you can get a guy that can come in and score three goals and get one assist and he doesn't need to play every single day, that's a huge benefit for any team. So I don't see why he couldn't participate a little bit more in this in the 4-4-2 that they, that they play, 4-4-2-2-2. Yeah, that depth on, on that right side is particularly impressive. We've talked about that at length before, but, you know, having having Diata there and, and, and Gelson Martins as well, uh, you know, very impressive indeed. Uh, looking at their opponents, um, uh, Eric, did you? Is there much we can read into this Nîmes performance that that Arpignon is sacked and then we see them kind of come out and 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 you know play as explosively as they clearly did at points in this game? Um, is it? Do you think it's a case of you know that particular manager leaving and the shackles being taken off somewhat, or is was perhaps that down in part to the kind of the inexperience and the kind of defensive uh, deficiencies that you alluded to uh, when you were first talking about this game from a Monaco perspective? I think it's a little, a little of both. Um, I do think that, um, you know, this is, this was, I think a fairly attacking setup from Neem. Um, you know, Cubas, I, I know Doe is, you know, not the most uh, gifted offensively, shall we say. Um, but uh, again, if you Ben Rahu is a player who I have a lot of time for, uh, so him being given a start, uh, I think is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, and I think we saw what a difference having uh, the creativity spread around a little bit more can make for Neem. Uh, in Fairhad and Ben Rahu, you have two players who have an ability on the ball that I don't think we necessarily get from other players in that team. Nicholas Eliasson, yes, on occasion, he did score a nice free kick uh, after coming on. Um, but again, I think that, that that team, you know, if you have a player like Fairhot in the side and then you have a bunch of other players who are, you know, shall we say more prosaic, um, I think it makes it too easy for teams to limit them in attack. And that's what we've seen. Uh, Neem have been awful at the back. A lot of that's down to injuries. 
Um, but I think going forward, they've been lacking a lot of punch because I think that Arpignon, uh, you know, eschewed uh, a, a consistent 11, uh, avoided, you know, did, did not play a, a consistent uh, system tactically. It's a lot of experimentation trying to get the best out of some of these players. Um, but then having Ben Rahu come back into the side, and he, he also had been injured, to be fair to Arpignon, um, Ben Rahu had. Um, but I think, again, sharing the load creatively, you know, it, it's, that, it's that idea if, you know, one player is having an off night, someone else can pick up the slack. And, I, you know, I think that, you know, we see that with the best teams where, you know, uh, Neymar picks up the slack from Mbappe with PSG. But I think that that, that applies to teams lower down the table as well. Um, you know, it's very rare that we see a team stay up or achieve any modicum of success with just one player being being the linchpin mm-hmm. for their success. And I think that, um, you know, Fairhead in particular, I think, is a player who I have a lot of time for and, and you know, was, I believe, set the set the record for assists in Ligue 2 at Le Havre a couple seasons mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, um, that's right. So we know his creativity. Um, but again, if he's able to be marked out of a game because there is no other creative option for Lake Rocco, then then that necessarily limits his ability to impact a match. And I think that it's to his credit that he even has the statistics that he does at this point. Um, so, yeah, again, I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of uh, Monsieur Planck's, uh, you know, attacking, uh, attacking uh, now. So I, I, I still don't think Nîmes are going to stay up. Um, like I, th- I said, you know, uh, I've been su- I, I still think they and Nantes are favorites to get the automatic relegation spaces um and maybe you know Santé or Dijon in the playoff spot but it's it's um yeah it, it's it's a frustrating um situation um that that Arpignon could not have himself realized this and started to make some changes uh for the team to have more positivity and consistency in the way that they played um Mo coming to to you now um um, do, do you feel that perhaps after after a match like that, and Eric kind of alluded to it there, someone like Pascal Planck in the in the interim role should perhaps be given a bit of time? Um, obviously, time is kind of of the essence, I suppose. In that you know, not Neem can't afford to to wait around too much, given that they are still at the bottom of the table, joint bottom with with Dijon. Um, but do you think a performance like that perhaps warrants him given a given a shot at the role, or or would you like to see someone else brought back? I'm kind of having visions of a triumphant return for Bernard Blacker coming back and and saving Neem from the jaws of relegation. I don't know how likely that is, but yeah, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's, it's a difficult one because obviously you know there are teams who sort of uh, get revitalised by a sort of a new manager bounce. Um, and probably knowing that, you know, there's a difficult game uh, on the back of a difficult game in Paris and um, a difficult game coming up against another sort of title challenger that Plonk probably said, you know what, look, let's just give the best impression of ourselves. Let's let's get stuck in. Um, let's let's see what happens. Um, it was a bit of a chaotic game. And I think and probably didn't allude too much to to. Um, Needs game management, defensive strategy, but did did highlight um, their resilience, and I think that's something they can definitely take on as a squad into uh, more challenging uh, fixtures. Obviously, starting with the cup on Wednesday, um, but I think it would be great if they bring in um, Blackard. That's only because 
there's still a decent chunk of games left to play, and I think entrusting survival um, to a um, a coach uh, like like uh, uh, Blanc, uh, who I don't think is in pretty you know at all um, experienced in Liga and sort of the the sort of relegation fight, and I think. Neem has have only risen so high because of Blackheart, because of um, his 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 tenure at the club, and I think it would be sort of a good full circle movement if they were able to bring him back. You mentioned obviously the fact that Dijon themselves aren't looking too strong either. Neem have shipped a lot of goals. They do need stability. They do need a firm, experienced hand. And Nantes themselves, who are only four points ahead of them, are absolutely adrift and do not seem in any way. Uh, ready to to part with the mistake that that Raymond Dominic has has been, um, so you've got you've got fifteen games, you've got time to turn this around, you've got uh, a very very big game at the at the weekend, um, which is a relegation six pointer, and then in, in in two weeks they're they're playing Lorient, who are not that far ahead of them either. Um, I think it's very risky to to entrust. Um, management to to someone a little bit inexperienced i think it would be great if they if they could if they could get black and it would be i think a great fairy tale if, if neem do eventually stay up because they've got good elements in the squad we've said that for a long long time um it's just um and if they've they've shown it they're not just shown it this weekend they shoot you know they showed in the velodrome uh three weeks ago and also a very a good performance in a one nil defeat to to neem and i think we mentioned that while they did go down um to to Paris um you know again they didn't look completely out of depth it's those games in the bottom of the half where they've struggled and they've they're looking to you know grab a goal and play at least on the front foot but they are defensively car open those are the games that they need to focus on yeah and you think they would want to bring in someone as you say experienced in this particular situation i mean pascal plonk has a an interesting cv um, lots and lots of coaching experience, certainly at youth level, and um, uh, as an assistant to Claude Puel, of course, at Southampton and and uh, and then Leicester. But um, yeah, no no real league on uh, first team experience. So um, so yeah, well well it will it remains to be seen whether he is the man to to fight the fires going on at Nîmes in the kind of longer term over the course of this season. Um, our final game from the weekend uh, will be Lyon versus Strasbourg. OL had narrowly overcome Dijon midweek to remain second in the table and faced the Strasbourg side still performing below expectations, struggling to put together a consistent run of form uh, in what could have been a tricky match for OL. An early red card for Strasbourg's Adrian Thomasson meant that Legon were able to canter to a 3-0 win thanks largely to the brilliance of Memphis Depay. Um, Eric, you saw this one. What were your thoughts? Um, you know, I, I gotta say, I think Leon kind of dodged a bullet here. I think um, the absence of Jason Denier, uh, particularly, uh, and uh, on that that left side of Leon's defense, looked looked a little bit shaky. Um, I think that that he and he and um, Thomason and, and Abdou Diallo are really giving, uh, and even Anthony Kashi getting forward as well. We're really giving Leon a hard time. Um, I would say prior to uh, Thomas and hadn't been sent off, Leon prob- or Strasbourg probably had the better of the match. Um, you know, we know that uh, you know even even though they've had um, issues with injury this season, um, 
and uh, Kenny Lala departing as well in the winter window. Um, but this team under Thierry Loray are, you know, as we saw by their Coupe de la Ligue win a couple of seasons ago, uh, are, you know, definitely able to spring a surprise. I mean, Leon beat them in the reverse fixture, but it was a nervy win there for Leon. Um, and I think had, you know, had Thomason not been sent off um, foolishly at that uh, second yellow was for dissent from what I what I observed. Um, it could have been more of a game. Um, so, but again, you know, much as uh, Monaco had had ridden their luck, I, I think that Leon did uh, much the same here. Um, and I think that, you know, it was good to see Memphis get among the goals as well. Um, I think that he's someone who, that and that that to me is the base takeaway from this game, is that, you know, now that the January window has come and gone, um, he appears to be as focused and determined as ever. Um, and if that continues to be the case, I do think that Leon can can push uh, Leland PSG all the way, uh, you know, for the title. And, you know, uh, what's the phrase, uh, you know, shoot for the moon, land upon the land among the stars, you know, title <laughs> challenge uh, will result in a Champions League place. And I think that's and the club have, you know, been none too shy about expressing that the Champions League, not Europe, the Champions League uh, is their goal for this season. And, you know, couple that with perhaps a decent run in the uh, in the Coupe de France. They've got a, a Jaccio tomorrow. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I don't really know what more to say other than that. But just that, you know, much as it has for Monaco, this match, the first 15 minutes of this match ought to have served as a wake-up call for uh, for Leon and, and are, you know, offering a reminder that, you know, um, with absences in, in key areas, and again, that is Jason Denier, um, you know, they, they might be prone to struggle a little bit, even as they had good performances from Memphis and, uh, and Dubois as well. But, you know, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's just a reminder that um, you know there aren't easy, there aren't really any easy matches in Liga, uh, and that uh, it's going to take uh, take retaining that level of focus for Leon to achieve their goals. And sometimes, I guess uh, it takes kind of a, a top individual performances to drag teams over the line in more difficult matches when perhaps they are kind of losing. Uh, have lost a little bit of momentum or are up against stubborn opposition, uh, as as you as you say there, Eric. As Strasbourg can often be. Um, Kale Memphis overtook uh, Karim Benzema uh, as in the Leon all-time top scorer rankings, um, breaking that record with a with a delightful free kick. That was his second goal of the match. A hundred percent of his shots were on target. He won the ball back five times. I mean, just how good was he in that game? And have you been impressed with his mentality? Because I think it's easy to forget, you know, that's something that perhaps at points in his career, he has had a lot of criticism for, not just at Lyon, but even at Manchester United. Um, And this is a guy who wanted to leave in the summer, was on the verge of leaving in the summer, but as Eric points out, has stayed on past the the January transfer window and is is stepping up when the team need him most. Yeah. What did you make of him in this game? And and, and what what have your thoughts been on his his season and his, his mentality generally? I thought he was fantastic in this game. I think he's been fantastic all year. I don't think it was anything different from what we've come to expect for the most part from Memphis in, in 2020-21. In terms of his mentality overall this season, you know, I thought, I think it's been great. I thought it was great last year as well. And I thought it was great when he, before he went out due to injury, I've never thought that his, his uh, attitude has been, particularly bad on the pitch for Lyon. I know he, he got a lot of stick for a while about not showing up in, in big games and all that stuff, but 
mean, as, as far as I can tell, as far as I've watched Memphis, and he's always been a guy that when he plays in Vigan, he produces, and he produces at a really high level. I mean, this season we're seeing it especially. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that there's a really good team behind him and that there's no question who the man is going forward and up front. Uh, you know, I think there might have been a slight power struggle there with Dembele when he came over. You know, Dembele's gone. He's at Atletico Madrid. And it's unquestionable that Memphis is the center forward and he's going to start almost all the matches. And I think you're just seeing that outpouring of talent and ability as he's playing more and more and as the team behind him looks more and more capable. And maybe it's sort of rounding into this group that, you know, they hoped it would be three years ago or two years ago or when they hired Silvino. But yeah, I think he's been excellent, but he's an excellent player. And I, you know, they'll be sad. He'll probably leave Ligue 1 at the end of the season, but uh, he's been, I think, quite good for Lyon since he arrived. So, Yeah, I certainly think that's, that's fair to say. Um, uh, looking at Strasbourg now, Mo, uh, did you feel that the Thomason red card was, was deserved? I mean, the challenge wasn't great on Thiago Mendes, and then I think it was Thiago Mendes at least, and then he was sent off for dissent, and Thierry Loray was particularly uh, enraged after the match. Um, did you feel it was the right decision from the referee? Um, I think maybe the first one was a little bit justified. I think dissent is a little bit subjective. I don't know exactly what was said, but um, I think considering they came that early on in the match, you, you just got to wonder, you know, what 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 is the effect if the first one warranted uh, booking and obviously there's frustration boiling over and you know there there can't be a bit of a dialogue that you feel like you have to send off um, a player and I think that completely not only enraged Laurie but also destabilised the team. Tomasson is a very key player, you know, sitting um, at the head of the midfield in, the, in that four two three one. That's that's really sort of kicked them off the curb, um, you know, in, in the first quarter of an hour and then. Leon uh, took the lead not not long after. I think, I mean, we we could we could speak for a long long time on the referees in the guy and just the <laughs> the management. And I think we've seen that obviously elsewhere in England this this weekend and over the past week. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't like to see that to be honest. Um, it's it just seems a little bit inconsistent to me. Um, looking at Strasbourg, kind of more more generally, what next for Thierry Loray and and for this team because. As we've mentioned, they lost Kenny Lala um, and, you know, they're still without Matt Sells in, in, in goal. But really, they, they, to my mind, they have, they've significantly underperformed this season. You know, when you consider how strong they are in certain areas, particularly that attacking duo of, of um, Ajork and, um, and Diallo, um, Kale, how do you see the rest of their season panning out? Do you do you see this as a side that can get dragged into the relegation scrap, or or do you think they have enough quality to stay above it? Maybe I'm just a glass half full guy with uh, Strasbourg or something. I don't know, but I'm really not worried about them. <clears throat> to put it really simply, I think Lore uh, is a good is a good manager and they have lots of good players. I think you're seeing a little bit of, bl- of blip. They're, they're not as solid defensively as they have been in past years. And that's really been kind of the platform that they build off of. So obviously there's some work to do there. They're dealing with the injury to cells and now Simicon. So like 
there are tangible things I think that are causing them to not look like the side that, you know, maybe I don't want to say overachieved, but surprised people the last few years, mm-hmm. but I'm not really worried about Strasbourg. I, I think they're still a step above those teams that are at the bottom, Dijon, Nîmes, and uh, Nantes. I, I think they'll be totally fine. They, they have a good squad, and I think they'll turn it around. Yeah, I think I, I think I completely agree on that one. Now it's time in the show when we open the floor for any other talking points from the past week in, in French football. Um, Eric, I'll come to you first. Anything noteworthy that's that's caught your eye that you'd like to bring to the table? Yeah, um, you know, I, I was not very positive about Saint-Étienne. You know, I, I talked about them uh, recently as having lacked identity, right? I didn't feel they were very capable going forward. I didn't feel they were very solid defensively. Uh, and then that I, I thought they, perhaps even more than Dijon or Lorient, could be candidates for the drop, given that Lorient know how to play on the front foot, which, you know, they continue to demonstrate, and Dijon are solid defensively. But, um I think that the players they brought in in January, which, you know, we there's always the saw about players being brought in in January as being, you know, not good value for money. And it's especially a risky proposition in a year um, in which, you know, French football has been de- decimated economically uh, between um, the telephone issue and, and COVID. Um, but they seem to have done pretty well with uh, Pape Abusise and uh, Anthony Modeste, uh, both of whom have arrived this January. And, uh, Cisse in particular had a had a massive match to beat Mess and what was frankly an upset given the two teams' places in the table prior to the match. And Mess were unlucky to have an own goal from John Boy, but um, Cisse looks, you know, a very capable player. He he was impressive for Olympiacos in the Champions League against Marseille. I remember watching him there. Um, so you know, and Modest again, you know, maybe he gets four goals, five goals for the end of the season. Um, he is a proven scorer in Liga, and I think that. That could, you know, the, the two of them could, you know, say they're responsible for eight or nine more points for Sente, which gets them to, I think they're on 25 now. Um, you know, 31 or 33, 32 points might be enough to survive this year. Um, and, I mean, as disappointing as that is, uh, Sente are on 26. So, yeah, say they get to 34 points. I'm, I don't think that any of Nantes, Dijon, or Nîmes are going to gonna get that many. Uh, not with 14 matches to play. I know Neem have a match in hand, but yeah, I think that that's some, some canny uh, transfer dealings from Sente. I think that especially having had some egg on their face after their pursuit of um, uh, the Zamalek striker, whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, any help on that, guy? Mustafa Mohamed. Yes. Yeah, um, who, who incidentally scored um, for Galatasaray against Fenerbahce this weekend, the winner in the derby. <laughs> Instant, instant hero. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I do think that Sente has done really well. You know, I, even as a Leon fan, I don't want to see them relegated. I don't want to see them struggle that badly. I think they are a European caliber team. They have a fantastic set of fans. Um, they're a team that, you know, like Marseille, I, you know, despite rivalries, I want Liga's quote unquote legendary clubs, so which Sente team definitely fit the description to be doing well. And it seems like slowly but surely they are, they're now seven, seven points clear that that playoff spot um two wins and a draw on their last three um and you know perhaps 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 um they can um they can make the difference they've got uh Rennes and Lorient um before the international break um you know if they win those two to put that much more distance between themselves and those teams um I, I think that they could be just about be assured of safety uh if only for the fact that the that bottom three current bottom three are so uh, lackluster. 
and lackluster they are. Yeah, it does finally seem like after some several false dawns, I think that that Sante are on track to to moving up the table slightly, or at least finding some more consistency. And certainly, as you say, Eric, despite their kind of financial limitations, that they were able to bring in Papa Cisse and Anthony Modestia to um, to two signings, who I think will boost them. Um, is is great for Le Ver. Uh, Kale, what about you? Anything you'd like to bring to the table? Um, no. Yeah, I'm good because I'm going to talk about Luza, so I'll let these guys go for this part. <laughs> okay, well, we'll come to you in a second. Um, Mo, go for it. The platform is yours. <laughs> um, well... Yeah, no, it's a tricky one. I mean, I think I'll, I'll I'll go with what I know. It's 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 Marseille, unfortunately, who are statistically now the worst team in the game over the last six games. Um, and it's it's such a shame because I think I think we need to just put it into context how um, by mid December they actually had the best start of a league season in any um, season since the introduction of the twenty team league game. Um, so wow. things have unraveled very very quickly um and i think looking you know in particular last night there's just going to be a big reset with players i mean there's certain players that just don't fit the level anymore i'm thinking of in particular hiroki sakai who looked again you know pretty naive in his um defensive abilities i think you know if you look at bruno Sar in particular who was a very attack-minded right back you know very well suited to the modern game um and hiroki sakai was sort of the safe defensive option and I think he's not even that anymore these days. So, you know, if you look at the um, tackle, quote-unquote, that he made, um, was it on Neymar? He should have conceded a penalty. And it just reeked of naivety and how easily he was beaten um, by uh, Kylian Mbappe, who obviously was showing a great deal of pace, but the defensive awareness was really close to zero. Um, so, I mean, that's just Marseille in a nutshell. That's still a Marseille who spent well above what other teams have spent, maybe not Monaco, maybe not Lille, uh, maybe not Lyon, but of course, over the other 15 teams um, have spent a considerable amount and that's the quality you get. I'm looking at um, Lance, who had a great season. You know, Mets have um, had lost um, at, at the weekend, but they've also have, have a record very similar to, to OM this year. Um, and can come back on, uh, you know, on three uh, consecutive victories, including that will uh, that win in um, in uh, Lyon um, very recently. So it's it's the big one next week. And I say, uh, you know, some listeners might think, "What do you mean? You just played PSG?" But it's the big one in that they do face Bordeaux away um, with that forty-three-year-old record on the line. Wow. Um, is it is this going to be the season? I mean, we've seen PSG with, uh, lose for the first time against OM for 10 years. We've seen San Etienne win at the Village for the first time in 40, 40 years. Um, this would be great. And um, I saw something that piqued my interest yesterday in that Nico de Previo, um, a very good, um, at times, a league and striker, hasn't scored for 24 games in a row. But something tells me he might just find in there next week. It's going to go either way, isn't it? It's one of those games. <laughs> it's, it it's, it's, it's the cup final for Bordeaux, this game. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember listening to you guys talking about this particular fixture last season and will the run end, will it not? And yeah, so maybe this is the one. Maybe this is finally the time when Marseille turn it around with Sampaoli in the dugout. Who knows? We'll see. Um, I'd just like to give a quick shout out to Ligue 1 legend Vittorino Hilton for making his 
500th league on appearance this weekend at the age of of 43 um just an, an an incredible achievement you know considering that he didn't come to france until he was 25 from brazil i believe and you know for for making an impression everywhere he's been um not least at, at marseille and, and of course now montpellier but uh, what an absolute legend and yeah absolute commendations to vitorino hilton to end the show then we come to our spotlight section uh where one of our uh, French football experts provides a bit of insight into one of the many exciting young players currently uh, applying their trade in the League of Talents, uh, as Ligue 1 has been marketing itself more recently. Uh, and this week, uh, as our very own Kale Stockwell alluded to there, uh, our spotlight will be on Nantes midfielder Imran Luza, uh, one of the bright sparks in a squad that is really having a torrid time of it this season um, and someone who I think is touted for greater success. So, Kale, the floor is yours. Please take it away. All right. Well, for those that don't know him, Imran Luza plays midfield for uh, Nantes. He's uh, 21 years old. He kind of broke into the side, well, kind of, he broke into the side last year under Gorkouf. He played, I think, one match previous to that. But uh, last year, really, he found his legs. Uh, Liga, and he ended up playing, uh, he started 22 matches and, and played in 24, so he was a well-established player in the side. Uh, what's interesting about Luza, or has been over the last two seasons, is he's extremely versatile in terms of his positioning, or at least where Nantes have liked to use him. So he generally does play a more attacking midfield position, but he can play centrally, but he's also played a little bit out wide. So, uh, And he can play on the right, or he has played on the right and the left. So he's a guy that really can stretch across, you know, if you're playing a 4-1-4-1 or if you're playing um, a 4-2-3, he can play really anywhere across that three. Uh, he's been relied on at Nantes to... I guess, drive the counterattack along with uh, Ludwig Blas. So again, you know, these guys, he's he's uh, kind of a hybrid of a player, or at least has been for Nantes, in that he's he's part of the build-up in a lot of cases, but then additionally, he's been counted on to create a lot of the scoring opportunities in and around the box. So him and Blas have been primarily relied upon for that. Uh, he... You can see in some of his numbers, they're really interesting because he has, as I was saying, some really nice transitions into the final third. And then additionally, he uh, has some really nice numbers uh, in terms of progressive passes and then passes into the penalty area. Um, one thing that I think uh, you know would be nice to see him improve on is he takes a lot of shots from distance. So, you know, he's still young and I think patience in and around the penalty area or in the final third is definitely an issue. And so, well, he does produce a lot of shots and you'll see him take a lot of shots in a match. Uh, they're often from a long way out. And so they're not hugely successful. And so, well, he has sort of like this high on penalty XG that sort of might be fooling people because they're not high percentage chances. Um, additionally, uh, you know, not get up to a lot of pressing because they don't have the ball very often. So he's capable of that, especially through midfield. Uh, one of the really exciting things and the nice things I think about Luza that teams will be looking at, you know, I think as he prepares probably to move on from Nantes, is uh, that he's he's actually quite a good ball progressor centrally, which is, I think, something that a lot of teams are looking for. He has a lot of 
he can create a lot of progressive runs through the middle of the park and break lines that, that way. So, he, you know, he's obviously that requires being pretty deft with your feet and good in combination play. Uh, as I said, I do think this will probably be his last season at Nantes. I don't want to say definitively, but he's been linked with moves away since the summer. The summer he was linked pretty heavily with AC Milan, although that didn't go through. And I think it might have been sort of contingent on Rob Fragnick moving there which obviously never happened. But then in the winter, he was pretty heavily linked with a move to Marseille. And again, that didn't transpire, but it seemed like the rumors had some substance to them. So I think you can expect him to move along. I think it'd be nice to see Luzon in a team with a little bit more, um, <laughs> I would say, a little bit more personality, maybe uh, <laughs> more rehearsed. <laughs> attacking moves even in a counter-attacking side i think he could be effective and still a useful player but i think one that had a little bit uh a more understood patterns and uh was maybe slightly more predictable and i think it could really benefit him also from just kind of staying in one position having a better understanding of you know what's expected of him on the pitch he has been moved around a lot and obviously not have changed managers and they're not the most consistent side. So I think he could benefit a lot from, from a side that could provide that for him. Do you, uh, could you imagine him um, seeing him playing and I guess succeeding at a uh, Jorge Sampaoli managed OM side, Kale, based on the qualities that you've highlighted there? I think he's an interesting, I thought he was an interesting name uh, from Marseille because yeah, I, to be honest, it's kind of bad timing because I thought that midfield was really, really good against Paris Saint-Germain. That that three of uh, you know Camara and uh, Rangier and uh, Gay looked really quite good. I mean, maybe he's a guy that could be an inverted winger, um, and you could look at him as sort of a replacement for Payet, although he might kind of be better off the other side, depending, I guess, on what Tovan does. But yeah, I think he's ready for that kind of jump if that makes sense uh you know so Polly to you know get really specific um got quite a lot out of Pablo Sarabia when he first moved to Sevilla and I don't know if people know but I'm a big Sevilla fan so I did watch a lot of that season mm-hmm. and uh you know they're not entirely dissimilar players obviously I think Sarabia is a better player at the moment but um that idea of this um this it's kind of like this hybrid between an inverted winger and a number eight slash number 10 is really sort of where Sarab was in the pitch. He worked a lot in that sort of half space and combined really well that season with Ben Yetter and um, some of the fullbacks they were playing. So I can see something like that for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there you have it. I, I think if they can, if he can, we can see loser playing in the Sarabia role, uh, as you say, as he as he played so well in that season under Sampaoli at Sevilla, and that is exciting indeed. But I think that's an excellent way to end today's show. Uh, a big thank you for your time, guys. Uh, as always, please make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from around the world of French football. And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Eric Devin, Mohamed Ali, and Kale Stockwell. Stay safe, enjoy the football and have a great week.